0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. The best way I can think to describe it is getting a metal bin and have your friends kick that metal bin for a minute. That's what it's like being in the a boxer. I've never witnessed a fight, like, but you've heard of Great British where they have actually had fights about, about it's it's just it. Hang it by. Yeah.
0: Okay, thanks for joining us on today's Athletics Life Stories podcast. My name is Chris Broadbent. Uh, I'm joined by Craig Pickering. Craig was a a very talented young sprinter. He burst to prominence by winning bronze at the World Youth Championships, gold at the European Juniors and silver at the European Under-23 Championships. He stepped up to the senior ranks and won silver at the European Indoors and bronze in the relay at the World Championships. He continues to be part of the international scene, representing Team GB at the 2008 Olympics and 2011 World Champs. But injury did take a his career he made a successful switch to bobsleigh and was all set to represent the four-man team in sochi in 2014 but a back injury flared up and effectively ended his career at top level sport he's continued his interest in high level sport he's a renowned sports scientist and is now director of performance sustainability at athletics australia craig thanks for joining us
1: yeah thanks for having me chris good good so
0: just just talk us through how you came back to be working in, in australia and uh, working in athletics in australia first
1: yeah, so I guess um, my wife was a doctor, my wife's British, as, as am I, but we were. she was a doctor in the NHS and then just was at the point of a training where she thought, oh, I've got a chance to sort of step away for a few years and then come back in at the same point with no real penalty. So she said, oh, I wouldn't mind going to work in Australia for a year and see what that looks like. I'd just retired from um, Bob's Day, so I had, I had nothing to keep him in the UK. So I said, yeah, that's fine. We should She go over there for a year. And then after a couple of months, she said it was was really good for her and much better than it was in the UK. So we stayed. um, That was back in 2015. Um, I was working for a UK company as a sports scientist um, for a little bit. Then Christian Malcolm, who I'd been in the relay team with in 2007, 2008 and 2009. Um, He got a job at Athletics Australia as sort of the performance director. And then I guess he just wanted somebody... Somebody that he knew to join him in that and so he, he um he said he had this role coming up as a pathways manager at Blex Australia and would an interview for it and I was fortunate enough to get the role and that was back in two thousand nineteen. So I've been been here for three and a half years now.
0: Settled in then, nice settled in Australia then, lucky you. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, no, yeah, so we've got our citizenship, we own a house and everything, so yeah, it's a it's a very permanent move now. Good, good stuff, good stuff.
0: So let's go back to the start and let's go back to your, your, your starting in athletics Then, how did, um, there must have been, I guess, when you were a kid, you know who the fast kids are. Were you the fast kid at school?
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, I always knew I was quick. I'd always win on sports day. I remember racing a kid four or five years older than me at primary school and beating him quite significantly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I always knew I was quick. So yeah, definitely. And both my parents were sprinters as well. So um they sort of told me a little bit about their achievements, so I kind of knew that I had that from them as well.
0: What, what level were your parents at? Oh,
1: they, they were county level, so they weren't the same level as me. But I guess if you've got two county level sprinters that have have a child, there's a decent chance of passing on some good genes there.
0: Okay, okay. So I assume you were the, the best at British, British Bulldog and uh, and tagging the rest of school in early days.
1: Yeah, although I'm not that agile, so I'm very quick at going in a straight line. But when there's any change of direction required, I'm not quite as good.
0: <laughs> OK, OK. Uh, so this your first club was Milton Keynes, wasn't it? I think you stayed with Milton Keynes throughout there. But what were your early experiences at Milton Keynes?
1: Yeah, so I guess when I went to secondary school, um, so for year eight, so I would have been, um, I guess, 12. I won my first sports day there. So I broke the school record uh, around 11.6 for the 100 metres which I think broke the school record by about a second. So my PE teacher said, Oh, you should you should probably go to an athletics club to see what see what you can do there. Um so to be honest I just kind of went along and for some reason, although I told them I wanted to sprint, I was placed in a in a group with distance athletes and made to do distance training. So I actually quit athletics for for a month or so because I just wasn't enjoying that. And then um my mum sort of convinced me to go back but to try and push me into a sprint group. So I did that and then I was just but won my first race there, kept on doing it. And a year later I was the under 15 national champion. I think I was the second fastest 14 year old in British history at that point as well. So that's when I knew I was, was pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, just carried on winning. and won English schools, uh, the following year, and then went to the world Youth the year after that and came away with a the medal there as well. So just kind of progressed from there. So,
0: so at, at the club at Milton, it's quite, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite an interesting, uh, image of you doing 1500 meter training in the rest Craig <laughs> did you actually do that was, type uh, of training at first <laughs> yeah
1: yeah did did I remember like just thinking I, I don't want to do this I'm not enjoying this why am I being made to do this um but yeah fortunately I managed to get myself into a sprint group which yeah otherwise I would have just stopped doing athletics
0: okay okay and was that, that's quite a, a good club there isn't it because wasn't Greg Rutherford a member of that club as well was he around at
1: the same time yeah yeah so I mean there's yeah, Quick Rutherford's been a member there. Chris Clark as well, who's who's the Olympics and red and was a guide at the Paralympics for Um Mervyn Luckwell, who threw the javelin at two thousand twelve Olympics as well. So there's there's been a fair number of decent athletes from there. And, and when I was training there, I think Milton Keynes won a gold medal in the under fifteen, under seventeen men's and women's hundred metres and two hundred metres at one national championships one year. So there's yeah, there's there's a fair fair number of decent athletes there
0: so like you say you quickly made progress you're winning you know three a's english schools and the rest and you went to the world youths in 2013 in canada can you tell me about that experience
1: yeah so i mean i think i was ranked maybe 13th or 14th going in but i remember um used to get athletics weekly every week and then like the week before we left the world youths they did the little feature on the athletes that were going across there and who was a, a potential male chance and for some reason, they said I was a medal chance, even though I knew I was ranked fairly low down. And then we got there and it was really hot, nice weather. And the day of the heats and semifinals, it just rained nonstop. So, and it was freezing as well that day. So it went from being like 25, 30 degrees Celsius to maybe 5 degrees Celsius in torrential rain, um, which made a big difference for me around a personal best in the heat when everybody else was really cold um in the semi-final I've made it through as the fastest loser but I remember like the the Nigerian, there was a Nigerian athlete who was ranked number one in the world that year he got knocked out of the semi-final I remember speaking to him afterwards and he told me like he'd never been that cold in his life so it was good preparation from training in the English winter and and that kind of thing to get you set up for that and then yeah the final which was uh the next day I managed I was in lane one and I just managed to put together a good race and and win the bronze medal which was which was good. And then I think the thought process from that was okay, well, I'm ranked third in the world now for my age. If I just sort of continue this progress, then maybe I can win a senior medal.
0: And who else was in that team at the time? Who else was in the G B team that made the transition through to seniors?
1: So my roommate was Steve Lewis, who went to the Olympics in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve in the pole vault. Um, Jess Ennis was in did the heads court. <laughs> I think she came <laughs> fifth. Yeah. Um I think they're probably they're the only two that I can distinctly remember making the transition through. It was quite a small team, I think, when they sent 20 to 20, 25 athletes, but yeah, they're, they're, we were the three that probably went to the Olympics off, uh, off the backpack championships.
0: Okay, okay, and that's that's the that's the youth age group. Then you, you continued your progress, and you, did, uh, you went to the European Juniors a couple of years later in Lithuania, and uh, even yeah. better than bronze.
1: Yeah, so I would say, yeah, World of Great Teams was 2003, uh, 2004, I wasn't picked for the World Under-20 Championships in the 100, but I was picked in the relay. So we went there and we were disqualified in the final, which, which is a theme of most Great Britain relay teams uh, in that period. But yeah, 2005, I ran, I ran 10.22 quite early in the season at the, the Loughborough International, which ranked me maybe fifth fastest Under-20 ever in the UK. Uh, and I think I was ranked second in the world at that point in time. And then. Sort of had a few other good races, and Simeon Williamson came onto the scene at a similar sort of time. So he beat me at the national championships. So I think I ran 10 27 the second, and he ran 10 24 to win. And then, yeah, we were me, him, and Alex Nelson were picked in 100 meters for the European in the 20s. And then Simeon beat me in the semi final. I remember thinking, oh, if I can get a really good start in the final, Simeon was a really good start, he always used to put you under pressure. If I can get a really good start in the final, and actually be next to him, I can put a bit of pressure on him instead. So I I remember that was my focus for the whole, pretty much 24 hours between the semi-final and final. And I remember I wasn't winning that race for about 99 and a half metres. I just overtook in the last kind of half a metre or so, but I knew from about 30 metres that I was probably going to win because of how close I was compared to all the other races we'd had. Yeah, and um, it was good because I won the gold, um, Simeon won the silver and Alex Nelson won the bronze. So, yeah, we got a one, two, three for Great Britain, which I think was the first time that had happened.
0: That's great. That's great. And uh, that was a, that's a rivalry that you and Simeon continued over a few years, wasn't it, pushing each other on. Um, but just who you've coached by at the time, is it Malcolm were you coaching at the time, Malcolm Arnold? No, that was,
1: I was coached by um, Mike Leonard at the time, so he was the coach for Milton Keynes. So similar sort of time he was coaching me, he was also coaching Joey Duck, who she went to the World Youths in 2005 and the 200 European Juniors in 2007 in the 200 as well. So was also pretty good. And yeah, He coached a couple of other age group um sprint champions and sprint medalists so I had a yeah decent squad at the time and then I moved to Malcolm after I won the European in the 20s I went to university at the University of Bath which is where Malcolm space. so I, I moved in thing.
0: right okay okay and that's where you became part of a well, well-known group but really, he wasn't it? the Malcolm Arnold group there was was Jason Gardner in that group at the time as well yeah so yeah
1: after I won the European in the 20s I was picked for the world senior championships in the four by one so I think the idea was just to pick me as like the seventh person to give me a little bit of experience. But <clears> the people that were around fifth and sixth withdrew from the the team. So I was essentially, there's only five of us, I was the first reserve. So I got, <laughs> got scared really close, happened to run, which I probably wasn't prepared for. That, that team won a bronze medal, but Jason Gardner was part of that team. And um, yeah, he was really good to me. Those championships sort of took me in his ring a little bit. So then to be able to join a training group with him. After was great. Primarily, I mean, my main thing was got a guy here who was at the time the European record holder over 60 meters had run under 10 seconds. um If I just do what he does and train every day, then maybe I will get close to that kind of level.
0: Okay, okay, and that was that, that became quite interesting because I get I'm, I'm jumping forward a couple of years here, but around 2007 is when you really had a. Arguably, our best year as a senior, you know, you really made you really started off the season really strongly in 2007, particularly in the indoors, winning in places like Glasgow and getting the better of Jason, didn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, yes, yeah, you're right. So yeah, um, 2000 and end of 2005, I joined the group. 2006, um, Jason was quite badly injured and ended up having to have um, a bit of surgery on his wrist, so missed missed a lot of races, and I wasn't performing particularly well. And then yeah, 2007, I started my season off. A bit earlier because I wasn't I hadn't broken through at that point so I was doing a couple of races and then um you know i, think I ran 656 at the South of England Championships over 60 meters which ranked me number one in the world and the following weekend I got put in a lane at the Glasgow International it was like a competition between Great Britain, Germany, Sweden, the US and one of the team which might be been the rest of the world but there was a spare lane in the 60s so they just gave that to me as a guest and Jason was running for Great Britain um yeah, I, I ran 6.55 in that race, which, which won that by a fair margin. And then I beat Jason the following week in Stuttgart, the Grand Prix there. And then that, yeah, the, it, things got a little bit uncomfortable between me and him probably because um, he'd gone from being quite an established sprinter and probably the key person in the group to then getting beaten by me in a couple of races. Um, and then he beat me a couple of weeks later at the... Birmingham Grand Prix, which is the last competition for the European Indoor Championships, which were also in Birmingham. Um, and then he beat me again in the final. So he ran, I think he ran 6.52 in the final, which was, uh, which was a world lead. And I got the silver with, I think, 6.58, just beating Ronald Pomion ran a similar sort of time. Um, I mean, I was pretty happy with the silver. I didn't expect to get that at the start of the season. And also, like Jason, ran much quicker, quicker than my personal best in that race. So it's um, probably about the best I could do. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was good. I mean, it was a really good learning opportunity, and then um, obviously been, looked after by Malcolm at that time as well. He was really good at guiding me through that whole process.
0: Just in terms of performance, is that is that a healthy dynamic to have that um,
1: rivalry in training as well? It can be. It's I think it, can, it it is when you're the person that's aiming to become number one because you've got somebody to, to target. Um, I think when there's the point in time at which one person's threatened to overtake the other one and it's not necessarily expected it for for a couple of weeks it was uncomfortable in training like I didn't enjoy going into training um Malcolm dealt with it really well he's just like like I'll I coach both for you I'm gonna I want you both to win I'm gonna prepare you both to win and then one of you will probably win and one of you probably won't and you'll just have to <laughs> have to deal with that as a result but yeah no it was it was uncomfortable and, and i've been in similar similar situations like when you go away with a relay team and the six of you you know only four of you are going to run like that can be a bit uncomfortable for for a couple of weeks you the know, major championships same as, as when you're in a State team there's a team of five but only four of you can compete you know one person's going to miss out and if if you're the person that might just miss out or might just get in it can be pretty uncomfortable for a couple of the weeks
0: i was going to ask you about that because i think the the relay particularly the men's four by one relay is an interesting setup where maybe it's less so nowadays but certainly i'd say back then the men's hundred meters is the most comparable thing to the to heavyweight boxing it's that sort of big the big tough guys the muscular guys there's a lot of testosterone bouncing around um a lot of bravado uh and yet you know, these are your closest rivals, have to come together as a team. And you do have to be a team in the relay because it does revol- revolve that. You've got to be really slick, which doesn't work to work together. So how do you unpack all that? You know, one minute there, one minute there, you are <laughs> biggest rivals. Next, you're, you've got to buddy up and have a team together. How's that, how's that, how do you make that work?
1: Yeah, well, sometimes you don't. and That's the, the dream. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it works really well if if everybody, if there's a clear hierarchy in terms of how things uh, how you're all ordered, it works well. So, if there's a clear person that's the fastest, clear person, second fastest, it all kind of works well, like, so is, like, is it like Primex where there's like a, a silverback leader of the, the crank, if you like? <laughs> yeah, well Certainly, people there's like a core of the relay group, and then there's the people that are around the outside. And if you're around the outside, you're sort of trying to get in, and the people that are part of it are trying to sort of push you out. And yeah, it does like. I've never witnessed a fight, but you've heard of Great Britain teams where they have actually had fights about about things. It does get quite, yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, fist fights, actually, between the the teammates, yeah? Yes, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Can you tell us about that?
1: (laughs) I I mean, all I've heard is rumours of a team before before my time. But, I mean, it's a really... the, The dynamic would be that typically... It depends on who the coach is and how how they prefer to communicate with you. Like um, some coaches would, would kind of give you a sense of, okay, we're coming into the Olympics here, this is what I expect the four athletes to run would be, and this is who I think the two reserves would be. Um, if they tell you like two weeks in advance and you've got a bit of time to kind of come to terms with that and then train, if you're the two that are going to miss out, you, you're trying to train better than the two that are ahead of you. If you're the two that are currently in the team, you're trying to sort of maintain that position. Um, sometimes you get coaches that don't tell you what the team will be until the day before. So there's a lot of anxiety around that. And then I guess when you find out the day before the Olympic games, that you're not in a relay team that can often uh, manifest itself in like quite negative emotions from the athlete. So they'll then take that out on the coach or the person that's taken, taken their their place. So I I mean, I have heard of like coach telling an athlete that they weren't going to be in a relay team and then the athlete then like, yeah, punching them or punching something next to them and like but like a physical physical altercation
0: okay okay right that's it's not, not not you though craig no you weren't the violent type no, 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 definitely
1: definitely not me like i mean i would have been there, there, there were, i was left out of the 2009 world championships relay team and i i was really annoyed at that time but i i didn't i didn't hit anybody i kind of saw it coming but it was it was difficult to take
0: Okay, okay, okay. Um, so just going back to 2007, there was it was a good year for you, really, because as well as uh, outdoors, you were performing very, very well. One occasion I remember is you were you were picked for the the, the single 100 meter slot for the European Cup in Munich, um, and delivered. It was possibly the, <laughs> was that the, that was that the best you performed, would you
1: say? It was certainly up there. I mean, at the time, so that's my second fastest 100 meters, legal 100 meters ever. So yeah, basically been given a hundred metre spot. Um was pretty pretty nervous about that. Um I think I was in lane one and then yeah, around 10 1015, 10, I think, to win it. Um and I won by I won by quite a long way. Like, I mean it helped that the standard of the sprinters wasn't particularly high, so it made me look a bit better than I possibly was, but yeah, it definitely was good. And then um later that day I ran second leg in the four by one and we were, I'm pretty sure we won that as well. So I was presented with the I was I won like the athlete of the match trophy for that, which was as a twenty year old was was I was pretty happy with that. Mm,
0: great, great, it's great stuff. Do you, I mean does it, does it come flooding back to this sort of thing when you watch this summer the European Championships in Munich and the like? To
1: remind yeah, you of Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much at peace with the fact that I'm not an athlete anymore. So that there's the the bits that I miss would be like the five minutes before a race where there's the anxiety and the adrenaline like that's that's something which is really hard to replicate so yeah probably i miss that um i don't necessarily miss the discipline and the training and the sacrifice, sa- sacrifice and stuff like that. so I, I can watch athletics and enjoy it i don't really anchor my previous life as an athlete with with what happens in athletics now i kind of can separate the two quite nicely but no, like I'm, I'm, i was an athletics fan before i was an athlete and i'm still an athletics fan now Good, good, good. So that, that same year, you went to the World Championships in
0: Osaka. Uh, you got to the semis. You did did fairly well, I guess. Uh, and you got the relay medal. So it was. Uh, would you consider that a good job done, really?
1: Yes, 2007 was it was a yeah a big year for me. I mean, the standards in the 100 meters were probably much lower. Well, they certainly were. They're much lower then than they, they are now. So it's probably like a it was a weird year where performances went down. It was just before Usain Bolt came onto the scene. So. Um, I probably should have made the final in the 100 meters. I, I'm quite poorly at the World Championships. Then I had like this ongoing back injury, which meant that I couldn't really train properly. So that was um, hampering my performance. Um, and then yeah, the, we got the relay medal. So we ran 37.90, which I think was the second fastest British time ever. Um, and that, yeah, undoubtedly that's that's the pinnacle of my athletics career is, is winning that that bronze medal in the in the 4x1. Um, and it was just. Like I remember the final. I remember it's one of those times where everything seems to come together. Christian gave me the baton. And I, he ran first leg. I in second leg. And I just remember like feeling like I was flying down the back straight and then passing the baton on to, to Marlon Devonish, She then just ran a good leg as well. So yeah, it was, it was one of those occasions where it kind of felt like everything had come together and was flowing really smoothly.
0: Nice, nice stuff. And then you you mentioned Bobs there as well. He was uh, he was at those World Champs. wasn't wasn't the, the beast he became the the, the next year. Uh, you you obviously went to the 2008 Olympics. Um, uh, ran in the ran. I you get to quarterfinals there. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, and uh, uh, what was your just from being within those 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 heats there? Um, what was the uh, general feeling among sprinters there that the the event was effectively being reset, wasn't it, by Usain Bolt?
1: Yeah. So Usain Bolt. I was in the in my quarterfinal. Was Usain Bolt was in my quarter-final. i from memory, I think around 10.18 in that race, which was the season's best, and I think he ran 9.91, and I remember he was so far ahead of me, but also I remember him, he looked like he was just jogging, he was just taking it so easy. So I remember that that was probably like when I started thinking, okay, this guy's crazily good, Um and then the next day was the final where he ran, he ran that, I think it was, that was 9.69 or 9.68 where he was showing off with about 20 meters to go so that that was you know quite clear that this was something that was completely different on on a completely different planet to any sprint that we'd had before so yeah there definitely was an awareness that this was something quite unbelievable which was happening
0: but do, how does it affect you as, as as one of the competitors do you does it does it do you think does it inspire you or does it um do you think oh yeah i can train as hard as i like but i'm never going to be able to match this guy what's the
1: what's yeah how you deal think with it my approach throughout my career would, would have been like I, I can control my own performance so um that's what i'm going to focus on i can't really control how quick other people run at the time that utain bolt broke into the scene like i i wasn't in the hunt for world championship medals so it didn't really matter to me if there's one more person in the line ahead of me like i wasn't if i'd missing out on third or fourth i was still like a semi-finalist quarter finalist sort of level but it um yeah no it just it just makes you think okay so to like give you an example of this, in 2009, I raced Usain Bolt in Ostrava and I remember thinking, I could look really stupid here. This this race is on TV. If I don't run well, I'm going to get embarrassed, because I'm probably the seventh fastest person in this race. And so actually, it was a really motivating thing. I ran uh, really, really quick. It was slightly wind-assisted, but it was my best 100 meters ever, and I came seconds behind Bolt, but beating everybody else. Like If you just use it as a way to motivate yourself, that's probably the the better way to do that
0: okay okay good good uh and and the relay as well didn't go too well did it in in Beijing there was a he talked us through that as well
1: (laughs) yeah yes so I was on last leg um I'm glad you can laugh laugh about it now Craig (laughs) (laughs) yes so yeah so basically I was I've run last leg um like I think what I'd run second leg in 2007 and run really well and then As an outsider, it looks to me like the relay coach is trying to fit in somebody else on second leg, but doesn't want me out of the team, so he's put me on fourth leg. Um, I'd run fourth leg, like, in 2001 once, and we we tried it at the Crystal Palace Grand Prix, which was the last relay before the the Olympics, and I kind of ran reasonably well. So I was doing something which I wasn't used to doing, Um, and I remember just before the race, so we were in heat three, I think in heat two you saw that the usa got disqualified so i remember thinking okay we're the reigning gold medalists we've just seen a team who could probably win the gold medal or get disqualified probably a good chance of winning a medal here which will be be pretty good um so that was sort of playing on my mind and then um i remember it being raining so the track was kind of when you do relay, you put you put a piece of tape on the track and the, the tape's usually white um, and when it rains, the floodlights from the rain reflect off the track, so it causes a bit of glare on the track. So I was having trouble seeing the check mark. And then France were in our race as well. And if you, if anybody's listening to this, they go back and Google the France Olympic kit from 2008. 2008. It's the same kit. One's got France on the front. One's got Great Britain on the front. So I was having trouble seeing the check mark. I was having trouble spotting the incoming runner between Marlon. And the French athlete because they were they looked they had the same kit on basically I think they were one or two lanes apart so I couldn't really couldn't really leave I couldn't see when I should leave and I ended up leaving about two meters too early which is criminal really like all the practice you do you shouldn't you shouldn't make that mistake but yeah, I left two meters early I remember getting about halfway through the box and thinking uh, usually at this point I would sense Marlon being close to me and I would sense him in hand and I haven't. I haven't got any of that sense here, so I should probably start slowing down and put my hand back. And so I did those two things, and I remember I could see the yellow line of the changeover box just coming closer and closer to me, and I'm thinking, I hope he's, I hope he's just behind me. Um, and I, I yeah crossed the line. Then he, he gave me the button, and then um, yeah I ran, I ran at home, and then we were disqualified afterwards. Um, and I remember like, I've been in relay teams where I've been in relay teams prior where we'd been disqualified and everybody was very quick to blame the other person. I remember thinking, like, that, I don't want to do that. And it's This is also so obviously my fault that it's almost like it's silly to try and do that. So I'm just going to take responsibility for this straight away. So I, like I did the BBC interview where I also said like it's my fault. Um, and, yeah, I mean, then it was like a tough couple of days uh, to get through that. I think you probably almost embarrassed to be to be around people you just think everyone's looking at you they're probably not um and then just kind of just kind of moved on from it really I mean it's like it's probably the device it's a defining moment in my life in as much as that like um the lessons I've learned from that have been really crucial and now when I work with younger athletes or relay athletes like I can hopefully stop them from making the same mistakes than me but it was a it was a pretty negative experience for a, a couple of days there
0: yeah, I get that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, how would you sum up that whole Olympic experience? Did, did you take positives from it? Um, I mean, did you? Did, could yeah, you, en- can you, a- can you? Can you? Can you enjoy the Olympics? You know, I know it's it's such an intense. You can't get a more intense performance atmosphere, but can you actually enjoy it?
1: I think if you, yeah, yeah you can. Like, you, you can have. There's plenty of downtime. There's you're with a group of people that you spent a lot of time with before. So, yeah, you, you're having a good time. Um, I think if you're in the hunt for a medal, like we were in the relay and the relay was on the second to last day, I think that's a lot of time with a lot of pressure hanging, hanging around, which sort of takes the edge of, off the enjoyment a little bit. But no, you definitely like one of the skills of being on the athlete is being able to switch off from the pressure a little bit. So you, if you're able to do that, then you can enjoy the, the experience a lot more.
0: Hmm. Okay, and who, which, which teammates would you like to hang around with and which ones, which ones would you look up to in the team as well and, and seek out advice from?
1: Yeah, but, well, I was never really one for kind of seeking out advice, but, I mean, Christian Malcolm and Marlon Devonish and Jason Gardner, they're always, like, really generous with their with their time in terms of saying, oh, look, here's things that we've done, here's lessons that we've learned, here's how it might help you. But I always enjoyed... Um, I always enjoyed hanging out with Dai Green, so we were obviously training partners for, for a few years and then we were roommates for, for a couple of years as well. Um, Andrew Steele around the 400 meters in Beijing, he's really good friends with him. Um, I mean, it's just people that sort of didn't take themselves too seriously. They're just nice to be around because if you're in a high pressure environment, you just just able to enjoy it a little bit more.
0: Okay. Okay. Good. 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 And then, uh, and then, in terms of enjoyment or the, the the intensity, I guess next season was quite intense with the the, the indoor season. And um, I guess it's, it's unavoidable. But the return of Dwayne Chambers was a big was a big uh, a big feature of that year, wasn't it? And you kind of got drawn into that, didn't you? Um, there was yes, some yeah. resistance about Dwayne's return from the you know from UK Athletics and resisting picking him in the in the GB team and the rest. Um, and you were kind of drawn drawn into that as the, uh, you know, the, the pantomime goody and the pantomime baddie. I guess is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. So I think like it's that spanned that whole thing spanned a few seasons. So I think Dwayne initially came back in two thousand and six, and like I wasn't involved in the reacting then. But there was that incident where Dwayne ran the relay final at the European Championships, and Darren Campbell refused to celebrate with him, and then. I think Dwayne took a step away from sport for a couple of years to try some other things. And then he came back in 2008. I think that's when he sort of got drawn into into that a little bit. Um, and yeah, then 2009, again, um, I think, yeah. My, my position is that if you've, my position then was if you fail a drugs test for the things that he failed drugs tests for, you should probably be banned for life because one, you've P- people that do that kind of systematic doping. They know what they're doing the whole time they're doing it, so they're they're willingly defrauding people. Um, and then the advantages you get from doping like that, I don't think they disappear during the two to four years of a of a ban. I think they're they're present. So yeah, that was that was my position then. Um, and so yeah, I think somebody asked me. One of the journalists asked me. Do you think Dwayne Chambers should be allowed back to run? I think I said no, and then which was which was my opinion, and then obviously that gets then asked Dwayne like that's replayed to Dwayne, and then you get his opinion, and then Dwayne's opinions then replayed back to me, and it just sort of escalates from there. Um, and to be fair, in 2009, he was substantially better than than me. Like he he shouldn't have. He, he, I'm sure he wasn't worried about what I was thinking about him. Um, the European doors in the semi final. He broke the European record, I remember, he ran 6.42. I was in that race, that was quite far back, I think around 6, 6.59 or 6.60, something like that, and, yeah, he, that's, he just destroyed me in that race and then obviously won the final for the next day. Um, and, yeah, if, if I was to have that time again, I probably just wouldn't get drawn into it because there's no, there's no, from my perspective, there's no positives that came out of that. It just probably made him more determined to beat me and put the pressure on me a little bit more.
0: Do you th- I mean, I mean, do you think it's almost a this Do you think there was an element of race about that as well? About because you were a, a white man in the sprints as well. Was there an element of race going on there at all?
1: To stir I, mean, I, I hope not. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I hope not. I mean, like that's a question. That the whole race question I get asked, asked quite a lot anyway. In terms of like, hmm. it's, it's reasonably common to have a high level um, white sprinter. Um, I've never. I never really spent much time thinking about, it, to be honest. So yeah, I don't know. I, I hope that wasn't one of the one of the motivators of it. Certainly from from my side, that didn't come to my thinking at all. CMO. So, yeah, no, I hope I hope not.
0: Of course, of course, yeah, of course. Um, and um, do you ha- do, what was your relationship? Do you have a relationship with Dwayne? At all? did you have a relationship at the time, or did you ex- did you communicate to No,
1: I've never, a, I've never had a relationship with him. Like I say, um, like I, after you won the Europeans in 2008, I did go to him and say, like, fair play, like, you've, you've run really well here, there's, like, I appreciate your your talent, apologise if, like, obviously, I've said some things which probably were quite hurtful to you, so I apologise for that, and, um, yeah, he, he apologised to me as well, but, that, yeah, I'd say we, we had no relationship, like, we, yeah, we had no relationship after that, um, yeah, I don't think we've spoken since then, I I, I don't bear any ill will, but, you know, just yeah, just have
0: nothing to say to each other. I get that. I get that. that, that well, that's, that's interesting to hear. You, you had uh, kind words to say to each other. That uh, wasn't reported, I don't think, was it?
1: No, no. I mean, he's a good, he's a good athlete. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just okay. And I guess, like, I think he'll own up to the fact that he, he made some some poor decisions in terms of doing like, taking those taking those drugs for that for that period of time. So I think he'll he recognizes that that himself. Um, yeah, so I recognise his talent. He just did some things that I probably don't agree with.
0: So just just moving forward now, in the next few years, injury was a big factor really, wasn't it? You had a few injuries with uh, with your back and, and the rest, yeah?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to be honest, I probably, uh, I first had a back injury when I was 13 or 14, so I'd been managing a back injury for pretty much most of my life, to be honest. Um, 2007, it had been like it was it was pretty good until the half of the season then it just started to get, get a bit worse. 2000 and 2009 were, were manageable. 2010, it was pretty bad. 2012, I ended up having back surgery. So, yeah, it was just always, always in, the, in the background as something which was becoming more and more problematic, really.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you, so you, moved, you moved on to Bobsleigh. Uh, how, how did that come about? Because was it, was it because the Bobsleigh guys were based at Bath? Would you see those guys regularly?
1: So, so yes yeah, so I moved away from Bath in 2010 so um, Jason had retired in 2007 and then so I was training with a guy called Ryan Scott and he left Bath in 2009 so I was essentially the only sprinter that Markham was coaching and so I felt like I didn't really have the day-to-day P like other sprinters around me to push me on um, I felt like the time was right for change so I, I moved to Loughborough to be coached by Michael Camel, So I joined a group with like Harry Akins at E.T., Leon Baptiste, James Solou, Joel and So a really good really good training group. Um and then so I had I had back surgery in um uh, March 2012, which meant I missed, missed the London Olympics. And then as a result of that, British athletics took away my my lottery funding, which I was kind of like it's how you get access to facilities and medical care and stuff like that. So um, once that was announced, the performance director of British Bobsleigh, who who had made a couple of jerky comments to me a couple of times about giving Bobsleigh a go, uh, came across, you know, had another conversation with me about, you know, is, is the time right now? And yeah, I felt like the time probably was right. Um, he, yes, yeah, so he offered to essentially replace the lottery fund I was losing from Athletics if I only gave Bobsleigh a go. So that helped. And then um, in the bobsleigh team was Bruce Tasker, who I trained with under Malcolm, so I kind of knew a couple of people there. Um, Michael Comell at that point was also then empl- employed by British bobsleigh. Our training partner, Joel Fearon, was doing bobsleigh. So it was just more and more people that I was friends with were doing bobsleigh. So I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I give it a go as well?
0: OK, OK. And tell me about your... your so you actually made the team, didn't you? You, you got into the squad. Uh, tell me yeah, about the successes yeah. you had with the team.
1: So... Uh, yeah, I was taken off lottery of funding in. I was told about it end of September 2012, and then um, I was officially removed on like, I think November the 30th 2012, and maybe on like December the 5th 2012. I went to Bath to do a, to do a testing session. So I broke all their track push testing records, which kind of gave me a lot of confidence. And then I did a whole squad testing session, maybe the week before Christmas, and I broke the records again. Then, so then I went away with the team onto the onto the World Cup and onto the World Championships, which I was doing two-man just to learn the sport. So I wasn't particularly good at that point, but I was just learning what to do. And then the following year, so 2013 slash 2014, I qualified myself and the, the pilot, Lamine Dean, we qualified for the Olympics in the two-man and the four-man, um, which I think I think made me the eighth, the eighth British athlete to be picked for a summer and winter Olympics. Um, and then we travelled to uh, Salzburg for our pre Olympic camp, and then I got I was just in the back of a bobsleigh on one on a training run where my back just went again. And to fly home to have a couple of scans, and um, yeah, a couple of doctors just told me it's probably probably a good time now to to retire. So, so I did. It was that bad, was it? They just told you that there's no more, really? Yeah, I mean, like, so I'd, I'd had back surgery, my back had been f- like f- fine since then, and then. Yeah, I was in the back of box layout. as I pull as you pull the brakes, you kind of you go from a bent over position to sitting up and I remember I felt pop in my back I was in quite a bit of pain straight away. I had a scan and a, a, like I saw the scan you could see the the discs above and below the one I had surgery on were in quite a bad shape and uh, I remember the doctor who was the head of the eIS so i I'd, kn- I'd known him from Bath he's a really nice guy and I remember seeing him he he'd driven to the place I was at at the uk to, to tell me the outcome of these scans. And I could I could see he was really nervous to tell me that it was bad news. But I knew I already knew it was bad news. So I was kind of like um mischievously enjoying the moment of his discomfort with him having to tell me this bad news that the bad news was coming. And yeah, he, he essentially said like this this is what's happened. Um you're not gonna be able to compete at the Olympics, so we're gonna have to withdraw you from this right now. And yeah, it's it's probably a good idea for you to think about whether elite sports, something you can do. Going forward, and mm-hmm. then yeah, I got the same message from a couple of other doctors and a couple of other physios mm-hmm. as well. But I was, it was probably at the point where I was ready to to walk away anyway because you um, don't earn loads of money doing. I think I was earning ten thousand pounds a year uh, at that point. Yeah. So There's not not a lot of money. Anyway. You, say, you, know, you sacrifice a lot of things, and I was I was 26 at that point, so maybe 26, 27. So yeah, it was it was it was something I'd been thinking about for a while, and then the decision just forced upon me. So it was mm. it was quite easy to make the end.
0: What's just, just before, I mean, we could we could pour over the, the you know, the uh, devastation of out and the Olympics, sochi and the rest, but just tell me about the actual thrill uh, and being within a bobsleigh and, and hurtling down one of those, you know, one of those courses. What, what, was, what was it like? I mean, there must have been the first time you did it in a World Cup race, or so I, I don't know what the situation was, but you're in a bobsleigh thinking, oh, this is a bit scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, the best way I can think to describe it is getting in a metal bin and have your friends kick that metal bin for a minute. That's what it's like being in a bobsleigh. So like you're not, your head's not up and you're not looking around. You're, you're pulling yourself down to be aerodynamic. The quality, Like I was fortunate. I, we had two good pilots within Great Britain. You've got a pilot that's not so good and you, you're hitting the side on the way down because you're not looking, you don't know what's coming. So you can't like, you, you don't know how you're going and stuff like that. Um, no, it's, and they're not built for comfort either. Like they're pretty, it's just a metal frame <laughs> with a tie around the outside. So, I mean, it's. I wouldn't say it was a thrill. Like you probably, certainly, I spent every time I went down bobsleigh, I was just waiting to crash, and that was always thinking in my head is, oh, we're going to probably, probably going to crash at this. Point. So it was instead of thrilling, I'd probably describe as like a a necessary evil of doing elite sport okay okay i get it
0: so you stepped out of sport and you've gone into sport science haven't you you're a doctor aren't you Um,
1: yeah i've got yeah i've got i've got a doctorate in it so um yeah so when i my my undergraduate degree was in sport exercise science from bath and then i after i graduated i sort of focused on sport for a bit and then yeah when i retired in 2014 i was i got a job for a company called dna fit which is a sports technology startup when they needed somebody to give them some sports science advice to kind of like work with them with their professional sports teams and stuff like that so I started off doing that a couple of days a week and then it grew into a full-time role and they they sponsored my doctorate um whilst I was doing that so um yeah I did that for for five years like I'm I'm not a true sports scientist as much as it like the true sports scientist is in the field a lot more and doing tests and stuff like that I've probably got more of like the theoretical or academic background um so like i've got education i've got academic qualifications in sports science but i'm not like a true sports scientist um and then yeah when i got this job with athletics australia in 2019 that's more of a kind of sports management sports administration type of role
0: okay okay uh, but you, you are interested in sports science aren't you so to, what yeah. what is i've seen you posting on social on twitter about it about genetics and the the importance of a positive environment and having a multi-sport background as well
1: it's tell me which which, which areas you're particularly interested in no so uh, well my i've written academic papers primarily on the use of caffeine in sports so caffeine like uh it's so caffeine used to be banned by the world anti-doping association because it's very performance enhancing but it's quite hard to police banning caffeine because it's found in like soft drinks and coffee and stuff like that so it's mm. not banned mm. um but yeah so i was really interested in it's sort of the nuance around how athletes could use caffeine to enhance their performance Um and then my uh, doctoral dissertations on how you might use genetic testing in, in elite sport so I've got a couple I've got a fair few papers on that and then yeah as, as I move to the pathways manager role at Flex Australia probably my interest is focused a bit more on how you develop promising young athletes into elite senior athletes so that I look at things like um, how you make sensible selection decisions there, how you what sort of environments you have to set up for them to be successful, how you structure competition environments, stuff like that. So, yeah, that's probably an area of interest of mine right now.
0: Yeah, I assume a lot of this is driven by your own experience as well, the areas you're looking into, the, your own your own athletics career, which was, you know, very successful, but probably just pieced out a little bit. Is that fair to say as a senior?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I was... A definitely better junior than I was a, was a senior. I mean yeah I think mm-hmm. the, the the key finding now from pretty much all the research is that the things that you need to be a good junior athlete, you need to be an elite junior athlete are not necessarily the same things that you need to be an elite senior athlete. And that's a mistake that a lot of people make is they think okay we've got really good junior athletes. They should automatically transition to become really good senior athletes. Whereas like you'll see the best junior athletes have usually been doing athletics for longer. They usually born earlier in the year, so they're relatively older, they're usually more physically developed, and that, those type of stuff, that, that advantage from those things disappears when they become senior athletes. So, um yeah, no, def- definitely like, yeah, my probably lack of being able to transition from being a successful, like a world-class junior to a world-class senior, that definitely has motivated me to, to find out more about that.
0: Okay, okay, you're obviously quite, you're, I think you've always been a bit of a deep thinker and you're quite interested in the scientific side of things, but i've also noticed you're a fan of made in chelsea craig as well
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I, yeah that's true i do like i do enjoy tv shows which don't require much thought so main chelsea is a big a big one it's really easy to watch two or three episodes of that in the evening um below deck is is good like the oc yeah stuff like that yeah about really easy watches like that.
0: Yeah, my, my my wife likes all that sort of thing. Any bloke, most blokes would say that. <laughs> although, yeah. although I must admit, I've got a fondness for um, married at first sight.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, another good watch.
0: <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Um, uh, so what's what's your ambitions now then? Into, within the sports now, you've got your role at Athletics Australia. Um, what's what's your ambitions to to achieve there? Do you want to I get back into really coaching? Do you, to, do you want to do coaching? Do you want no, to? Uh,
1: uh, I think think if you're there's a type of person who's a coach and I would recognize that I'm not that type of person like I don't um, I don't have a personality type that enjoys being around people <laughs> to be honest like I don't enjoy being around people the same people every day like it's not mm-hmm. it's not my type of thing I don't think so um, yeah coaching's coaching's not for me um, like I've probably always been gui- guided by just doing stuff that I find interesting so the point which I like uh, my interest will Increasing an area and I'll try and go in that direction um so yeah the, probably the normal career pathway for somebody in, in my position would be to become a high performance director in a sport which I'm definitely interested in sort of exploring that but also really enjoy my, my current role and enjoy what we're doing at APEX Australia which given that we're 10 years away from home Olympics you yeah, know that's a good a really good thing to kind of focus all your efforts on and something exciting to work towards.
0: Good, good stuff Christopher good and um and are you still fit? Do you, do you still keep, keep in shape?
1: I think it depends how you define fit. Like I, <laughs> I go to the gym, like I wear 20 kilos more now than I did when I was an athlete. So um, that's that's a fair work. But yeah, no, still, I mean, I'm still physically active. I've I've always enjoyed training. Um, I'm probably just a bit fatter than I was, well, quite a bit <laughs> fatter than I was 10 years ago.
0: And does your speed in your own life, does your speed ever come in handy at all? Do you ever need to use that speed? <laughs>
1: um i've got i've got a one i've got one and a half year old child isla who has just learned to walk so there'll be occasions where i have to use a burst of speed to catch her before she's <laughs> going to do something which which can get into trouble so it's it's good to have that it's good to have that in reserve for sure
0: good and d- can you see yourself uh dusting off the shoes and making a comeback for the uh uh the school sports day dad's race perhaps would you consider that
1: yeah definitely so yeah my, my wife it, it was also a good sprinter so she was, um, when she was under 13, I think she ran 12.3 metres, which was maybe ranked fourth in the UK for her age then. So we actually will probably be competing with each other to see who gets to compete at the parents race at Sports Day. Um, and we also, our, our daughter is the same age as one of Usain Bolt's daughters as well. So we, we joke that um, they'll be racing each other at the 2040 World and the twenty Championships.
0: It <laughs> could be a good matchup. Yeah, and and, and going by your theory of you know your your folks being um, county sprinters, then hopefully little Isla will be uh, uh quite swift on yes. her feet then.
1: Yes, exactly. And and I know what makes a really good junior, so I'll just overtrain her massively, um, <laughs> get her doing athletics from a young age, and then um that'll give her a lot of success as a junior, which will be perfect. I'm sure you know what you're doing, Craig. I'm sure you won't do that. So.
0: Uh, great. Well, listen, thanks for your time. Before we go, just how would you sum up, i have give a summary at the start of the uh, this uh, podcast, but how would you sum up your career when you look back now? <laughs> um,
1: like, the thing that comes to mind is missed opportunities. So like, I missed a chance to win an Olympic medal in 2008 in the relay and I missed a chance to compete at the Winter Olympics in two thousand and fourteen, which I think would have been a really cool experience and I feel like I probably didn't make the most of my potential as an athlete because of my injuries so that sounds like a really negative message, but it it's actually like I'm very comfortable with all that and i'm like I'm in a really good place now, really happy as a person, and I feel like all my effects career I wouldn't change it because the lessons that I learned from it have made me the person I am now so yeah probably in summary missed opportunities but I don't view that as a negative.
0: Great okay well don't don't beat yourself up too much Craig you've got a a few medals in your locker there so don't be too hard on yourself. It's good good to see you looking so well. Thanks for your time today Craig it's been a real pleasure thanks for being so honest and candid Um, and uh, yeah best of luck with your future career in Australia.
1: Oh yeah no worries thanks Chris. Cheers cheers Thanks, Craig. Thanks for listening to Athletics Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.